0: Now let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise in Psalm 103. It's page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Let's
1: pray.
0: Eternal God, as we come before you this day, we thank you for the song that we have just been singing, that we are in a position to bless you and to praise you. Because you have been good to us. We pray that we would be able to respond to you. In a way that is fitting. And in a way that is uh, honoring. We give thanks this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. And we thank you also for those who have been born into this world since I was last in this pulpit. We think of little Naomi. And we think of Fiona and Johnny's wee girl yet to be named. Gifts. And we think of the unborn in the congregation. And we pray that you watch over them and that they would have a safe arrival into this world as well. We do give thanks for family bonds. And our earnest prayer is this, that in the great beyond we shall all be together. We thank you for our Queen. and the example she has set us in the midst of adversity and difficulties she has been so dignified and so God honouring she has not been immune to the fractures and the stresses and the strains that come with family life but she has conducted herself in such a virtuous manner. But we have been reminded that it doesn't matter who you are. This enemy called death swallows us all. But we are here this day because there's a monarch who conquer death even for our Queen and all who like her trust in him and so in the ups and downs and the twists and turns and the bumps and bruises of life's journey you shine a ray of hope we pray that you'd remember all who mourn remember those who are just devastated and who cannot see a way ahead we pray that your grace will be sufficient for each and every one of us but remember the royal family at this time And as we take a moment just now of silence to reflect on a monarch who was such a blessing to have, may we in our memories be ever thankful to you. And as they at this very moment take the mortal remains of Her Majesty to Holyrood we thank you once again for the example she set and we pray that we would all trust in the King of Kings and that we would be safe in Him for time and for eternity and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen (coughs) now it's lovely to see so many youngsters and it's lovely to hear the sounds of little children in our midst and I'm going to tell you a little story since I was last in this pulpit I had a birthday and one of my birthday presents was a bit late Mary um, McLennan, whom we affectionately know as Mary Mouse, arrived at the home there at our house the other day, and she went off out into... We have a, we have a mobile dog run for, a, for the young dog, and I, I looked through the window, and I saw Sarah and um, Mary in the dog run, and I thought, what on earth is Mary doing in the dog run? She must be wanting it for something. So I went over to the window, and I saw something that I hadn't noticed initially, And it was my birthday present from Sarah. Three brand new hens. A black one, a white one, and a black and white one. And I do know that at least one of them has given us an egg. They're they're, they're young. I think they're probably pullets but that set me thinking about something that would tie in with the events that are going on around us uh, just now and I don't know if you do this at Easter time nowadays but I remember as a boy at Easter time we would get these eggs and we would boil them in a pan so that they became hard-boiled eggs and then we would uh, paint them up and then we would roll them down the hill now I think that tradition came from a way back. And it was associated, the rolling of the egg was associated with the rolling away of the stone that was at the tomb or the grave of Jesus. But you know there's another association between Easter and eggs. That egg that I got the other day from our new hens, if I put it there and I asked any of the children, is that a living thing? I think everybody would say, no, that's not a living thing. But the astonishing thing about the right kind of egg is this. If you make it warm enough for long enough, it becomes a living thing. And that's an association with Easter and the resurrection. Because... Jesus was well and truly dead. But he came alive again. And you know we are surrounded all the time by death. Even the death of our monarch. But in the midst of death. The greatest enemy this world faces. And the enemy that we will all have to face. I want us to remember this. Someone conquered death. And that was Jesus of Nazareth. And my hope and prayer is today. That in the midst of all our sadness. That we will be trusting in Jesus. The Jesus who will conquer death. For every single one of us. Who believes in him. May God grant. That that would be true. Not just of the young people here today. But of every single one of us. That is just so so important now let's sing again to God's praise this time it's Psalm number 63 Psalm number 63 and that is found on page 295 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song Lord thee my God I'll early seek my soul that thirst for thee My flesh longs in a dry parched land. Wherein no waters be. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord be my God. I'll early see. God's Word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1, and we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ?" nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Amen. And may God bless to us that uh, reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, as we come before you this day, we ask you to help us. This act of worship will be sheer futility if you leave us to ourselves that you are the God who has done something about our plight. And we pray that as we listen to these words from the Bible, that they would seep into the innermost recesses of our souls and that they would be a foundation for us to stand on. As we go through life's journey, we face many perplexities. We face many decisions where we have to decide one way or another. And sometimes it is just so difficult. But we pray that you'd enlighten our minds and you'd guide us in your truth. And as we explore it afresh this day, we pray that your spirit would be here to give us insights and to help us to remember who you are. And what you have done. We get reminders of who we are and what we have done. And it sinks us in our souls. But in the midst of floundering around so often, may we listen to you. And may we hear your voice. And may we all be helped by you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number eight, 23. Psalm number 23 on page 229. And it's at the beginning of the song. The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want. He makes me down to lie and past your screen. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want. <coughs> To the passage we've read in John's Gospel chapter 1 and we'll read again at verse 14 John 1 and at verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glorious of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth now we When I was last in this pulpit, we were doing um, a series both in the morning and in the evening. And the series in the morning was on John the Baptist. I'm not going to carry on with that series at this particular um, sermon. I'm going to look at the Christ that John the Baptist wanted everybody uh, to look at. So let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture And for those who were at the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, uh, I'm going to expand a little on uh, uh, what we said on the Wednesday evening. But first of all, this book was written by one of the twelve disciples. In fact, the disciple that was closest of all to Jesus himself, John. He was known as the Beloved. And at the very beginning, he describes Jesus in this way, in the beginning was the Word. And of course, the Word was one of the names of Jesus. Jesus had lots of different names. And every single name was a window into who Jesus was and what he was about. Now, right now, I'm using words to communicate to you. Words for the human race are the vehicles of communication. And that's why Jesus is called the Word. Because it's this eternal God saying something to the human race. So he is the Word. And we are told astonishing things about God, you know especially when I'm in the schools and I'm dealing with young people you know, they have no inhibitions about asking questions they just come out with it sometimes I stand at the front of a classroom and I'm a nervous wreck because I think I don't know what they're going to come out with next but uh, I always try to not duck and dive their questions I always try to give them an answer and one of the things that come up when we speak about God is this Where did God come from? And who made God? Now, I in and of myself cannot answer that question, but God Himself does answer it in the revelation He has given to us. And what He says to us is this that He had no beginning. He never had a beginning. Now we really struggle to come to terms with that. And I guess we come have great difficulty in grasping that. Because we all have a beginning. And we have a middle bit. And we have an end. And that's the way we think. And that's what we experience all around us. And so it's very difficult for us to grasp this concept. No beginning eternal and I'm guessing that uh, before God ever created any human being and before God ever created anything of the universe we find ourselves in that a fair question would be this well if God was there and there was nothing else was God lonely and this part of the Bible tells us no God wasn't lonely and here's a great mystery We don't fully understand this but we believe it because God has revealed it to us that there's one God but there's a Father and there's a Son and there's a Holy Spirit and what we're told here is this in the beginning was the Word and the Word is Jesus another name for the Son and the Word was with God now that word with there is our English translation of a Greek word pros and the word pros means towards And the whole idea here is this, that you have the Father, God the Father, and you have God the Son, and they are towards each other. They're looking into each other's eyes. And they are delighted with what they see. And they have always been in, in communion, in communication, and in fellowship, and in union. And because of that, there was never loneliness with God. And you know... We live in a world where there's an awful lot of loneliness. There are an awful lot of lonely people in this world. And it's not good for people. And it's not good for people because we were never meant to be lonely. We were made in the image of God. And God is a fellowship. And God is an interaction. And God is a communion. That's why in order to be fulfilled people, we cannot live as islands. We need to interact and commune and have fellowship. You know, I do remember in my young days, I think I I was about 12 when the very first television came into our home. And even at that age, I noticed the marked difference. Because up until that point, you know, there was no central heating in the home. There was just an open fire, and the family gathered around the fire. And you talked to one another, and you interacted, and you communed. But as soon as the television came into the house, it took over. That was the focal point. And um, something was lost. And you know... I wouldn't sought my childhood for the childhood of any youngster nowadays, because it's such a different world that we live in. You know, I remember a few years ago our Amy wanted to come walk down to the village. And I said, "No, you're not walking down to the village." And the reason I said that was this, to walk down to this village, she had to walk through the layby on the A9 up there. Anybody could be pulled into that layby. And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is so different. I, I remember feeling bad about it. Because uh, we as youngsters, we went for the day and nobody thought anything of it. You'd come back home maybe well after tea time sometimes, maybe it was getting dark and Never crossed anybody's minds that we might be in any kind of danger. It's such a different world we live in nowadays. You know, we talk about our children pressing away on buttons all the time. Well, sometimes they don't have a great deal of choice. They can't just go out and wander the way we did in, in, in a past age. And I don't think that's good for them, but that's the kind of world we, uh, we live in but God wasn't lonely and what we're told in this uh, particular uh, passage of scripture is that this word became flesh and that's an astonishing thing that this eternal God 2,022 years ago became something that he never was before because as a a human being he, he did have a beginning And he came into the flow of this human race and lived among us for thirty-three years, was ultimately crucified at a place called Calvary, and that was a dark day for this world. But in the midst of the darkness something shone through. He's called the light, and he's called the life. And he's called these things for very particular reasons. He shines a light into the darkness of this world. And in the midst of the death and destruction of this world, he is the life giver. But I want for a moment or two to reflect in particular on two things we're told about Jesus, about the word in this Particular text. We cannot go into it all. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. John was there, He was one of the twelve for three, maybe up to three and a half years. He saw with His own eyes, He touched with His own hands, He interacted with this human being. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's these last two things I want to say a little bit about. Grace and truth. And I'm going to take them in reverse order. I want to say a little bit about the truth first of all. And then I want to say something about grace. Because he's full of both of these things Full of grace and uh, truth You know I can remember as a young policeman Standing in a witness box I told you this story before And looking at the sheriff And thinking to myself If I was sitting where you are I would know what to do and I don't think that anymore because in my young days I was naive enough to think that all policemen told the truth until I sat in a courtroom one day and listened to a police officer just lie through his teeth and you know I have a friend who's a sheriff and uh, I used to say to him I wouldn't have your job for anything in the world. Because it's just so hard to determine at times who's telling the truth. And he would smile at me and he would say, I wouldn't have your job for anything in the world. But this issue of truth... I want to highlight one aspect of the truth about Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he made a statement, and he made the statement often, and it was a pretty bold statement. Nobody in the human race had ever made it before, and nobody in the human race has ever made it since. And his statement was this. I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. And they laughed him to scorn. And they mocked just how ridiculous the statement was. He put it in different ways on different occasions. On one occasion he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And you know, they thought their temple, the literal temple in Jerusalem took 46 years to build. And they said that building took 46 years to put up and you're going to destroy it and you're going to build it again in three days time. And, and they, they made a mockery of them. But the mistake they made was this. They didn't listen to what Jesus really meant by his words. I remember when I was a student, one of my professors, speaking about somebody else who had written a book and... Uh, He was asked by somebody... What's the book about? And his answer was this... I'm waiting for the critics to tell me. And you know there's an awful lot of truth in that. You get so many people who are critical... And they give their evaluation of what somebody meant... And what somebody said. But I think ultimately... If we really want to know what someone said... And someone meant... We go to the person themselves. And that's what we've got to do with the words of Jesus as well. And this is where we get it wrong so often. We we spin our own interpretation of the words of Jesus and the words of God. That's why in an act of worship we have to come, whether it's private or public, we have to come in all humility before God and say, Oh God, please help me. Please help me to worship you in a way that is God-honoring. And to worship God in a way that is God-honoring, it's got to be spiritual worship. It's got to engage our souls. But there's another aspect of it. It's got to be in truth as well. How do we know what the truth is? He's given it to us on the pages of Scripture. Now, it might be hard work to work through it all at times. There are some things it's pretty clear what he's meaning, but there are other times when you have to dig and you have to pray and you have to ask for his help. But he has promised, he has promised to help us. And on that day when he said, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again, they were aghast 46 years in the building and you're going to put it, and he never meant that at all. He meant himself. The temple in which the Holy Spirit of God was without measure. And this wicked world would would destroy him. At least that's what the world thought it did. But on the third day, he would rise again. But let me go back to what I said. He made a statement that nobody in the human race prior to him ever made. And nobody in the human race since Jesus was around as ever made either and that statement was I'm coming back again and they went all out to make sure there were no loopholes they posted guards all around his tomb because they were afraid not that he was going to come back again they were afraid that the disciples would steal his body hide it and then spin another lie to the world as they saw it so they went all out to make sure that this man was literally dead and buried. You know, as you look at the followers of influential people in the history of this world, I don't think there's a group. That were quite as pathetic when the going got tough as the followers of Jesus. To a man, they all forsook him and fled. Even the one that said, I will never, I will never forsake you. Even if I have to go to prison, I'll not forsake you. Even if I have to give the ultimate and shed my blood for you, I'm not that kind of person. But he was the one who would deny Jesus three times over with curses and with oaths. That's a reminder to us that we don't really know who we are. We haven't a clue what might transpire for any of us in life's journey. We might yet get it unbelievably wrong. We might make absolute disasters of ourselves. Peter wasn't the first. Two of the songs that are found in the book of Psalms were written by King Solomon. Solomon. He was the wisest man in the world. If you look at what Solomon was up to by the end of his life, it is absolutely shocking. He got involved with all these women and ultimately he is building shrines to people who are sacrificing babies to these false gods. And you think, oh man, what is going wrong here? But when I come to speak about grace, I want to come back to Solomon if my memory will serve me. Because I believe that Solomon is one of the Lord's elect, saved people. But in his lifetime, things went skiwith in an unbelievable manner. I hope my memory will serve me to come back. To say a little bit about Solomon when I move on to grace, but how about this for truth? The most pathetic group of people, somehow or other, got themselves together to such an extent that the enemies of Christ were saying of them, They've turned the world upside down. And here we are two millennia later and the world is still being changed upside down by their message and their truth. But of course it wasn't their truth. It was the truth of Jesus because he he was amongst them for 40 days. They saw him with their own eyes. They experienced. Experienced it and it just turned everything on its head for them and they became astonishing ambassadors for Christ why because they knew it was the truth they knew there was a resurrected Christ in their midst they knew that his words were true they knew that he was the conqueror of death full of truth but I'll move on to grace What is this thing called grace? Grace Is God being gracious But we have to ask this question In what way is God gracious? Grace is the unmerited Favor of God Now let me try to unpack
1: that
0: When God does something Favorable for us or to us when God shows us his favour when we don't deserve a single iota of it that's grace there's no merit in it it's the unmerited favour of God but I'm afraid that you and I are terribly on the whole of the human race We are terribly bogged down in this idea that God does something about our salvation that we do a fair, well not a fair, but we do maybe 10%, we maybe do 5%. We've got to get ourselves sorted out and we have, we've got to do some of it. It's not that way that it works. Salvation is a gift. 100%. We have zero input. Absolutely zero input. And I want us to remember that. I want us to remember that. Now of course if we accept this gift, if we believe in him... How do we show our thankfulness to God? Well, he says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. So any endeavour at keeping commandments is on the basis of an expression of thank you for a gift of salvation. And that is what makes the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth so, so unique. We live in a very, very religious world. There are religions by this score all over the place. But every single one of them operates on this basis. That whatever God is believed in. The individual has got to get them up to the standard. Whereby the God that they believe in is impressed enough with them to save them. That's not the way Christianity works. It's the reverse. It is God stooping down into the murky waters of a sinful world. And saving people. Do you know what it says in the notice board out there? It says come as you are. There's only one way you can come and I can come to Jesus, and that's in our sinnership. That's in the mire and the degradation of being a lost human being. And we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat this matter and that's why we're all going to die that's why we're all going to die because the wages of sin is death we will all die for the exact same reason because we are sinners but the rest of the text says this the wages of sin is death but Now listen to this carefully The gift of God Is eternal life Through Jesus Christ Our Lord And every last word there is significant And we've got to listen We've got to listen to it Here we are today as they take the remains of our monarch, our past monarch at any rate, to Holyrood in Edinburgh. But even the great and the noble are in the same boat as all of the rest of us regarding this matter. This thing called death, it just conquers us all. But in Jesus of Nazareth There is triumph over it What's he doing in this world in the first place? Why did he spend 33 years here? Why did he die at a place called Calvary? Why did he rise again on the third day? Why did he spend 40 days before he ascended back up into heaven? There's only one answer And that's grace He was doing something About the plight of people like you and I That's what he was doing And whatever else we do in life's journey Whatever else we do Let's not get this issue wrong. It is just of such vital, vital importance. And don't let anybody in the privacy of your own mind at this moment say, Yes, 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 that's all for others. But, but, but there are no buts. There are no buts. It's for sinners he died. You qualify and so do I. That we must believe him. We must exercise faith in him. And that's my hope and prayer this day. And that we are found exercising that faith in him. But one final thought. How big is this grace? And I'm going to come back to Solomon in a moment. But I'm going to say a little bit about Solomon solomon 's father, first David, how big is this Grace? David most certainly was a believer he wrote more than anybody else more of the psalms that are found in scripture. Did he wonder? In his earthly pilgrimage, as he believed in this God, and indeed by faith down the avenue of time in this Jesus, he wandered hugely. He wandered hugely. He got it terribly wrong. He got it terribly wrong. Did it change his standing in grace before God? Not a bit of it Because this grace is such that Once you're in Once you believe That's it Jesus did not squander his sacrifice Jesus does not look at some people and think Well, it never worked. I failed. That's not the way it operates. And so I come on to Solomon. If David got it wrong, Solomon got it even... Solomon was even worse, I think. These babies are wonderful gifts from God. Wonderful gifts from God. How on earth could a human being ever end up laying a little child on a, an altar to sacrifice it to a God that didn't even exist in the first place? You think, how on earth do you get there? You get there because the human race is exceedingly fallen. And that fallenness knows no limits. But if you try to work out the Mechanics of it. In giving these children to these false gods, they realize that this is a precious gift, so we will give it. How twisted, and how fallen, how depraved can the human race become? It knows no limits. It knows no limits. But this Solomon, who was doing these dastardly things, was in. You see, sometimes I think that our estimation of the enormity of the grace of God is so blinkered and so limited by our own misconceptions. You know, I go back to, you're going to build this building in three days that took us 46 years to build our own interpretation on the words of Jesus but an interpretation that was so wrong we make the same mistake we make the same mistake the enormity of the graciousness of the God that we are here to worship today knows no limits we should all be in it on the inside on this one And we will be on the inside with this one, irrespective of who we are and what we've done. Now, don't get me wrong, if we live wayward lives as believers, we're not going to have any peace in our souls. If we want to know contentment, we'll give him his place. But you know, sometimes this old man within us is just so powerful and so destructive and mucks things up so immensely. That's the way it is, I'm afraid. But I'm coming back to finish on the enormity of the grace of God. I think we've all underestimated it. And so I come back to this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father. Fool. Of grace and truth. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God. May we listen to you today. And may our loved ones. Wherever they might be this day. Listen to you also. And may we all be found secure. In the truth. And in the grace of God. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing some verses from Psalm 103. And it's at verse 13. It's page 370 of uh, the Psalter. Such pity as a father hath, and to his children dear, like pity shows the Lord to such... Worship him in fear. We'll sing down to the end of the verse, Mark 19, such pity as a father hath. and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one
1: both now and forevermore